Friends and hello, friends, and a special welcome if you're joining us for the first time. You really couldn't have picked a better week. Uh, we're launching into a new series called Unto Us, uh, Finding Us in the Christmas Story, and that'll take us all the way up through Christmas Eve weekend. And before we jump into the conversation, I just have to say thank you to one of you who remains unidentified uh, because it, two weeks ago I had sort of a coughing fit, you may recall, during this service, and Randy had to bring me a whole pitcher of water so I could continue on with my talking. Well, on Wednesday, I walked into my office and someone had put this on my desk with a note that says, hope this helps. And initially, I, was, I thought, boy, that's really considerate. And then I noticed the brand. And I was like, what do you mean, helps? <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to get us going with our conversation today by telling you about something that happened to me at a Christmas party two years ago. Um, just imagine it. The Christmas music is playing. The fire is roaring. Uh, the eggnog is flowing. And I'm in the corner with a buddy I've known for a really long time. And we're actually sitting next to a Precious Moments nativity scene. Do you remember Precious Moments? Right. And he looks down at it, looks up at me, looks down at it, and he goes, you ever notice how those look like your kids? And I was like, what? And so I brought a picture of my kids. You can be the judge. Here we go. It's our Christmas photo this year. Maybe a little. Uh, but, but anyway, then he picks up baby Jesus, which I'm not even sure you can do, but he did. And, and he said, you know, he, he said, have you ever thought that the way we tell the Christmas story is a little too perfect? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, on a perfect silent night, to a perfectly peaceful couple, the perfect baby is born. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the story. He says, we sing, the cattle are lowing. We don't even know what that means. We sing it. The cattle are lowing. The baby awakes. And you know how this goes. And little Lord, and little Lord Jesus, no what? No crying he makes. And he says, but I don't believe that for a second. He says, there's no way that the first Christmas was a silent night. And here's why. He said, I have three kids. I have observed labor and delivery three times, okay? And if my wife had to give birth in a barn, it is possible that she would yell out the name of God's son. <laughs> but not as part of a Christmas carol, okay? I'm just telling you that that would not have been how it goes. And, 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 and I laughed and I thought, he's right. He's right. We've sanitized Christmas by the way we tell the story. And in doing so, we may have lost our ability to connect to it. Well, I've been thinking about that conversation ever since it happened, and it sort of gave rise to the content I want to explore with you between now and Christmas. What I want to do for the next four weeks is explore the Christmas story as it really happened. And I want us to remember that the characters in the Christmas story, well, they were real people with real lives and real struggles. They weren't Bible people. They were people, people. And each week we're going to take a look at someone whose life was turned completely upside down. They had to figure out what to do. They got out of bed one morning and thought, today is just going to be another day. And then God moved in unexpected and unprecedented ways, and their lives were never the same. As we explore, my, my hope for this series is that as we come to understand their stories, we might actually be able to find a little bit of our story in the Christmas story as well. And so today we get to explore uh, the first couple um, that I want to talk to you about. And they're a couple that's often overlooked this time of the year because when you read the accounts in the New Testament of the birth of Jesus, the, the first Christmas story doesn't happen with Mary and Joseph. It happens with a couple 
six months earlier named Zachariah and Elizabeth. And, and if you're, you're here and you're like, I have no idea who Zachariah and Elizabeth are, they are not in my precious Bowman sensitivity. Fear not, I'm gonna introduce them to you this morning. Uh, they were a couple, and this is significant, who had been waiting for something for decades. They were a couple who wondered if God had forgotten about them. And, and that's a bit where I think we find ourselves in at least this part of the Christmas story, because I think we've all been there. We've all been in that space. We've prayed for something. Maybe it's something that we want to get. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a relationship to heal. But our prayers, they just feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling. And after a while, we start to wonder if, if God really cares for us at all. And, and, you know, if you grew up in church, you might even have the thought like, I feel like I've been a pretty good person. Not perfect, but I feel like I've been a pretty decent person. So I don't know why God wouldn't do this for me. And if that frustrating space and time in life, if that season goes on long enough, there are questions that rise and they're natural questions. They're questions I think we've all asked like this, like, okay, God, why do I keep serving or giving or believing or obeying? I mean, you don't seem that interested in me. I don't know why I continue to be interested in you. Why, why do I keep living like God cares about me? I feel like he's given up on me. So why shouldn't I just give up on him? And if you've ever had that thought, maybe you're here this morning, you can't believe this is our conversation because you walked in this space going, okay, God, one more shot. And here you are and you're like, somebody's been reading my emails or whatever, right? Um, but if you've ever had thoughts like that, the Christmas story really is for you. And in fact, Zechariah and Elizabeth share some of your story. We meet them in the second book in the New Testament. It was originally a letter written by an early Jesus follower named Luke to his friend Theophilus, who lived in Rome. And here's what Luke tells us about Zechariah and Elizabeth. He says, In the time of King Herod of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah. So he was like a professional religious person who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, to which we would respond, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, good. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And all Luke wants us to see here is that this was a professional religious family. They served in the temple to God in Jerusalem and had for generations. And as, as Luke continues, he gives us a really important piece of information about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Like, what kind of people were they? He tells us this. He says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So Luke tells us when God looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth, he saw two people who were doing it right. God had presented his people with an ethic, a, a set of rules and regulations, some to-dos and some to-don'ts, and Zechariah and Elizabeth somehow were following them blamelessly. And maybe Luke was exaggerating a touch, but you get the idea. And this is fascinating for us because if you've ever tried to read the Bible, you know that in the book of Leviticus, you generally fall off the wagon, do you not, right? Because Leviticus gives us the 613 to-dos and to-don'ts. And apparently we don't like to read them, but not only did they read them, they actually were living them. So they were pretty exceptional people, which raises a great question. How does God treat people who are so incredibly faithful? Well, Luke tells us as we continue, he says this, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. And if you're just sort of reading the account of Jesus' life on your way to the Mary and Joseph stuff, you jump right over this, but, but this is an emotionally charged statement. 
they were childless and now they were past the age when it was possible for them to have children. Luke tells us they were faithful, as faithful as they possibly could be. They got up each day and continued to be faithful. They prioritized God in their lives. Their commitment to God had cost them opportunities. They missed out on different things in life. Nonetheless, they weren't able to have kids. And in the first century, that was an even bigger deal than it is today. And as you know, it's a huge deal today. Because in that culture, infertility was always seen as the woman's fault. And women in the first century couldn't own property. They didn't have access to education. They couldn't hold political office. And so in the eyes of first century people, a woman's value was tied to her ability to have children. In addition to all that, there was a religious stigma because the Jewish people in the first century believed that God decided who got to have a baby and who didn't. And so if you were unable to have a child, you were thought to be under a curse. And so Elizabeth, a woman who sought to walk faithfully with her God and to serve God every day of her life, struggled and prayed and struggled and prayed. In the first century, they would have been married as teenagers. So throughout their teenage years, when they first started having trouble, they would pray. And then the 20th birthday rolls around and they keep praying. And maybe this, is, maybe this is the year. And then as the 20s start to wind down, maybe this is the decade. And then they enter their 30s. And there's more struggle and more tears and more frustration and more pain and more questions. God, where are you? I mean, this, you want us to have children. And you told people to be fruitful and multiply. And we're trying to do our best. And what's going on? And eventually they go through their 40s and their 50s. And, and, and by the time we meet Zachariah and Elizabeth, hope for children has died because they were past the age when conception was possible and God had not come through for them. Somehow God had said no despite the desperate prayers of faithful people. And they had to live with the shame and the pain of that reality into their old age. Here's what's so fascinating. The disappointment and frustration of Zechariah and Elizabeth mirrored the disappointment and frustration of the entire nation of Israel in the first century. Because 2,000 years earlier, God had promised to bless the world through the nation of Israel. He had appeared to their ancestor Abraham and had a conversation that ended with an absolutely stunning promise. The first book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, records the promise. It goes like this. God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. Like right now, you're just a guy and his wife. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Thousands of years from now, halfway around the world, people are going to know you, Abraham. Promise kept. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And here comes the good part. He says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I am blessing you, not just for your benefit, Abraham, but I'm actually going to change the world through your family. That was the promise. And in Zechariah and Elizabeth's day, all of Israel was still waiting for God to deliver on his promise. As children, they were taught that there was more in store for Israel, that somehow God was going to use us to change the world. But, but like Zechariah and Elizabeth, the light of hope had begun to fade and maybe had totally gone out for some of them because God had been silent for hundreds of years. 
Meanwhile, Israel had been overthrown again and again and again. Every time there was a change in world powers in the Middle East, they would overthrow Israel. And in the first century, there wasn't much army. There was absolutely no clout in international affairs. They lived under the oppressive thumb of the Roman Empire. So the idea that, that somehow Israel would, would rise again to prominence on the world stage and bless the world, it seemed not only improbable, it seemed impossible which is why so many Jews in the days of Zechariah and Elizabeth had basically abandoned worship of God. They turned away from him and they began to integrate into Greco-Roman life. Because if God has forgotten about us, we might as well forget about him. But not everybody had turned away. Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful. They were faithful even though God on a very personal level, seem to have forgotten about them. And if you and I had come to them during this period of their life and said, friends, come on, it's over. It's a myth. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. I mean, yeah, part of the promise came true. There is a nation now from Abraham. I mean, we do know his name, but come on. The idea that God will use someone or somehow from our nation to change the world, you've got to be kidding me. Israel will never be a player. Nothing will come from this insignificant nation. So, so give it up. Walk away. Enjoy the few remaining years of your life. God, if there ever even was a God, has, has abandoned you. And if we had pulled them aside and had that conversation during those years, we would have been wrong. Because the reason Luke begins with this story is that this was the beginning of something. God was about to make contact and he was going to do something brand new in the world that would result in the fulfillment of that ancient promise. And the reason that this story is so important to you and to me is that we all have seasons when we wonder if God is listening and we wonder if God cares. And Christmas, the Christmas story, answers those questions with a resounding yes. Here's how the story goes. Once when Zechariah's division, and there were 23 priestly divisions, once when Zechariah's division was on duty at the temple and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, which means they sort of rolled some dice to see who would be going in, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And if you're unfamiliar with the temple of the Lord, this was stood on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem today. Here's an artist's rendering of what it would have looked like in Jesus' day. The temple is the structure at the back. That's the temple proper. And it's not many square feet, but it's absolutely incredibly significant square footage. Inside that structure, there was a dividing wall that separated into two rooms, the holy place and the holy of holies. And they were separated by a 60-foot-tall purple curtain, uh, thick as a man's head, an ancient historian tells us, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, and on the other side of that curtain, inside that Holy of Holies would have been the Ark of the Covenant in ancient times until Indiana Jones got a hold of it. That one, right? You're with me? And what would happen is that at certain appointed times, a priest would enter that first room, stand before the curtain, and light some incense to basically have the fragrance and the smoke rise up to God. That was part of how they did business with God in the ancient world. So we learned that Zechariah was chosen. This would have been a huge honor. Probably only once in his life would he have the opportunity to go in and to light the incense. Here's what happens when he gets inside. When the time had come for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside, which meant only Zechariah was in the holy place. He's standing before that curtain. 
Next verse. He says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Like happens. You know what I'm saying, right? The angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And it's key for us to realize if God had been silent for hundreds of years, nobody was expecting anything like this, especially Zechariah. So next verse, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, no kidding, and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Right? And then he handed him a fresh change of undergarments. There you go. Yeah. So don't be afraid. This was basically standard angelic greeting. Every time an angel shows up in the New Testament, the first thing they say to the person they're appearing to is, do not be afraid. Do you know why they had to say that? Because they were afraid. Right? Angels were big and bright and scary. Even when they weren't meaning to be big and bright and scary, they were big and bright and scary. People fell down on their faces before the angels. They thought they were looking at God. And so the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Then he says, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. What, what prayer? Zechariah knew exactly the prayer. It was the prayer they prayed thousands of times. It was the prayer that had been like soaked with tears for decades. And I wonder what happens in Zachariah's heart when he hears that. Because he wondered, does God even, does God care? We, we continue to be faithful despite all this evidence that God is not faithful to us. And all of a sudden, just to know that Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. I'm listening. I haven't abandoned you. I care. And I just wonder in your space, in that prayer that continues to bounce off the ceiling for you, the comfort just knowing, God, I don't even know if you need to answer the prayer. Just let me know you're there and that you care. And maybe that would give me enough strength to go on. But see, there was more coming for Zechariah because the angel wasn't done speaking yet. Check out what he says next. It gets even better. He says, your prayer's been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you're to call him John. And at this moment, I think Zechariah's eyes filled with tears. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, and, and this John, by the way, famous John, this is John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. We get some more details about him as he continues. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This isn't just going to be a baby. This is a special baby with a special purpose. We get a little weird detail when he continues. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. You're like, well, he's a baby. I don't know. We'd probably do that anyway. But, and, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And this is a reference to an Old Testament vow that people would take to set themselves apart for special work of the Lord. And it involved not getting near anything having to do with grapes or even raisins, which I just think is a great detail. But anyway, that's what's going on there. He says, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Question, why do people need to be brought back to the Lord their God again? Oh, oh that's right. They'd, they'd walked away because they believed that God had abandoned them. John, John is going to be a bridge for people to come back into relationship with God. And, and this, this is great news. I mean, you, if you're Zachariah, you're just overwhelmed completely. But you have a, like a logistical question and you're like, okay, I don't know how this all works in angel land, but we got to just clear something up here. And this is what he says. He says, uh, okay, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is, how do I put this delicately? <laughs> yeah. Be, because... Um, I have a feeling this is pretty significant, like moment in history as Zechariah is thinking, maybe somebody's going to write this down someday. And so careful how you frame it. 
I'm old and she's well along in years. I love that, right? Gentlemen, take note. This is what wisdom right here going on, right? Right, right. He says, it's like he says, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled God has heard my prayers. I'm overwhelmed, but it's too late. It's too late. We, we, this, this, isn't, this, this just can't happen. And the angel's response is really great. He goes, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, which means anything is possible. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. He goes on. He says, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And that idea is so stunning, it's worth us pausing and just thinking about it. Because Zechariah would have had the same thought you or I would have in that moment, even though he couldn't verbalize it, right? Uh, you mean that God had this day marked on his calendar for 700 years? 700 years. There's been a story unfolding. You mean that God watched his people abandon their faith time and time again? Because the waiting was too hard and too long. He watched people abandon him. You mean that even though God has been quiet, he hasn't been inactive? Like, like this story that he's telling through the nation of Israel is still ongoing after hundreds of years and the angel would look back and say, absolutely. Absolutely. God's silence does not confirm his lack of interest. He is still at work in the middle of the waiting. So Zechariah um, has been spending some time in the temple proper. And, and it's interesting because his job was to go light a stick of incense and then leave. And he's not coming out. And, and so you're like, I wonder what all the people on the outside are, are doing. Oh, they're waiting. And Luke tells us, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple, right? And they're like, um, we're not supposed to go in there, so who's going to go in, right? Uh, when he came out, he could not speak to them, which was sort of interesting. Like, you know, Elizabeth is ready to, like, give him the what to. Like, what in the world took so long, right? And here we go. And as he continues, um, they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained, remained unable to speak. So if you wondered where charades came from, <laughs> Zachariah's like, right? Yeah, can't, yeah, yeah. So, so it's kind of like, okay. And then uh, Luke continues his story. He says, when the time of service, when his time of service was completed, so Zechariah's division is, is kind of cycled out, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. You wonder how she's feeling about all this, but the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So you get this sense, like, this hasn't been an easy road for her. And there have been times where she just cried out to God, just, the, why? Why? Why is life so hard? I'm trying to live a life that honors you. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to be a good person. Why would you not do this for me? And the disgrace that creeps in and people judging me as I walk through the market, why? And now God You've taken away my disgrace. There's, there's redemption in my story that I know now that you 
haven't forgotten about me and you never had, even in those moments when it felt like it, you've always been faithful. Friends, that's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And that story is just the warm-up act. That's the conversation before the conversation. But that's evidence that God was going to do what he planned to do all along. He was planning to do what the faithful had been waiting for for hundreds of years. And affirming for all of us that even in the times God is silent, he is still active. He still is the God who keeps his promises. And so despite what you feel, despite what I feel, we still can trust him. And after all the waiting, after all the frustration, all the disillusionment, all the pain, all the wondering, all the questioning of why, the day had finally come and God was putting his plan into action. And I read this and I think about serving as a pastor for 20 years and I'm like, this story is in so many ways all of our stories. Because we've all had seasons when God is silent and we've all had moments when we feel like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And we've all had moments where we had to make the choice. Do I keep believing? Do I keep following? Do I keep pursuing? Or is it time just to compromise, just to fall in with everybody else because it doesn't seem like God is that interested in me. And so why would I be interested in him? And so many follow that path. But what I love about Zachariah and Elizabeth is it, it demonstrates the fact that in every generation, there's a remnant of people that, that remain faithful, that despite the silence from God, they choose to believe he's active and they keep moving forward and they keep trusting him. I think of friends who are you know, entering the holiday season and every holiday season feels like a war zone because the family's like in a war zone. And for years, they've been praying that God would sort of restore peace in the family. And it hasn't happened yet. And you kind of like, you think about hosting and they, they roll their eyes and they're like, it's just gonna be a train wreck again. And like, God, I keep asking and nothing's changing. And so I, I, think, I think the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth would say to you, keep being faithful. Keep moving forward. Keep praying. Keep trusting. The story of your family is not done yet. God is still at work, even in those moments when he's silent. I think of friends with, with struggles in business and the economy starts to wobble and, and they start to wonder and they've been praying that, that God would restore peace in their business and it just doesn't seem like it's happening. Like, is it even worth praying anymore? And I think the story of Zachary and Elizabeth would say, yes, it's worth it. Keep, keep pursuing God. Keep the integrity. Keep moving forward. He's not done with the story he's telling. And if you're in a dark space, just keep moving. You will find him faithful at his time. So the good news for all of us is that if God is silent in your situation as you sit here this morning, there's nothing wrong with you. In your situation, if that's your situation, like welcome to the common experience of people who have followed God for thousands of years. That's the dilemma all of us face or have faced or will face as we walk with God. The good news, it's normal. The challenge is, what will we do? And will we be that unique college student or teenager or couple or business leader who, despite circumstances, says, God, I believe that you keep your promises. I believe that you're faithful. And even when it's hard, I will keep 
following. Christmas is a reminder that your faith in God is not misplaced. And it's a reminder that God's silence does not confirm his lack of interest. His silence has nothing to do with his plans for you or for the world. He's telling a story with your life. And it's a story with some dark chapters, but in the end, it is a good story. And so we just keep moving forward and we keep trusting and we keep longing and we keep waiting until the day we find him faithful. The story of Christmas is a reminder that your faith and your hope are not in vain, that God is still in the business of bringing redemption. Before we close, uh, the band's gonna come out. I wanted to enjoy a song together and it's a song that speaks to this longing for things to be made right and it's a righteous longing. It's a longing that, that God shares. It, it's a longing that drove him to send his one and only son. And just this longing and also this promise that light has come into the world and there's a new story unfolding and it's not always clean and it's not always predictable but it is a beautiful beautiful, beautiful story. God's silence does not confirm his lack of interest. He just invites us to trust him as we're in that waiting room.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, the message that falls out so clearly from the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth is hope. The thrill of, of hope. That those of us who occupy a weary world can rejoice because you are the God who keeps your promises. And so I pray for friends that are in this space that, that just need a dose of hope this season. I pray that as we consider this ancient account that again and again we would be reminded that you are the God who keeps your promises and who desperately loves your kids. And so I pray that hope would rise in every one of our hearts as we celebrate the coming of the light of the world. So we thank you, we bless you, we celebrate you this season. In the matchless name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Everyone said, amen. Friends, we'll see you next week for part two. Grace and peace. Christ was